All right, praise us be to our living Amma for again gathering us to study his words. And today we're going to talk about the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances. We have three basic questions we're going to answer today. Let's go ahead and begin with the first one. Uh, someone uh, wrote in and says, good day, Paul. Question for Brother John. The laws are the Ten Commandments, Paul. Are the ordinances different from the laws, or is it the same? Well, how about an eye for an eye? Exodus 21, 24, it says, but... Uh, if a serious injury results, and you must require a life for a life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, for foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Leviticus 24, 20, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, 23, but if a serious, serious injury results, and you must require a life for a life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Cross-reference, Deuteronomy 19, 21. And yet, Christ Yahusha in Matthew 5, eye for eye, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resi resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Eye for an eye is no longer practiced for. These ordinances are no longer in practice for. That's the question uh, that he or she is asking. But let's go with the first question first, uh, which is, are the ordinances different from the laws, the commandments, or is it the same? So let's go ahead and go to the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 1. Now, these are the judgments which you shall, you shall set before them. Take note in Exodus chapter 20, uh, Yahuwah God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Here in Exodus 21, he adds and says, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. So the giving of the law included, number one, the giving of the Ten Commandments, followed by Exodus 21. And what follows next? The judgments mentioned in this particular passage. So what are the judgments mentioned here? We go to our favorite website, blueletterbible.org, and we find judgments. It is the equivalent of the Hebrew word mispat. I want you to keep that in mind. Hebrew word 4941, mispat. What does that mean? If we go to the biblical usage of that word mispat, it means ordinance. So judgments, ordinance, uh, they're basically one and the same thing. Now, what is an ordinance? It's involved in making a judgment, an act of deciding a case. Remember, when it comes to the people of Israel, they were governed not only by the commands of Yahuwah Abba, but because they are a theocracy, Yahuwah's commands also govern the interaction between human beings between people. This is why the laws of Moses, uh, they are divided basically into three parts, right? You have the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. You have the ceremonial laws, which govern lots of the rites and rituals and ceremonies. And you also have the social laws because human beings interact in the community of Israel. And so to give guidance uh, to the people of Israel, because sometimes people sin against each other. The Ten Commandments were given to prevent that from happening. But human beings are what? We're sinners, right? We commit sin against one another. 
And so when a sin is committed against one another, there's a case. If there's a case, it has to be settled because we belong to one community. Hence, you get the word ordinance. It's involved in settling disputes among people who belong to the covenant community of the people of Israel. This is why when we look at Strong's definition, mispat, it's a properly a verdict, favorable or unfavorable, pronounced judicially. And so the purpose of the ordinance, the purpose of the judgments is to provide guidance so that when there are disputes among brethren, because they sin against each other, they, we know exactly what we need to do. We have a guideline by which to follow so that we can preserve the peace among the community of God's people and satisfy what Yahuwah God wants. So that's the laws, that's the, um, the judgments and the ordinances. What else? Deuteronomy 6.1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which Yahuwah your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. So we have the commandments, we have the judgments, we also have the statutes. Now what are the statutes? Well, let's go ahead and go to Hebrew, uh, the Blue Letter Bible, and statutes is the Hebrew word H2706, hawk, and it means basically statute, ordinance, or limit. Sometimes when a decision is made, uh, when there are disputes, for example, there was a sin committed by one brother against another, there's a judgment that has been determined, maybe a punishment, uh, that what that must be meted out, the limits of that punishment are also determined. And it's called an ordin, it's, it's called a statute or ordinance. And so we have statutes, judgments, ordinances, and commandments. And so when we look at the Hebrew words, judgments, ordinances, statutes, they're basically synonyms. And it involves what to do when there are disputes among brethren. The Hebrew word mispati means guiding decisions. These are illustrative laws intended to provide future generations of judges with precedents, a template that can serve as guides for their decisions. Of course, not every possible scenario is covered in the book of the Torah, right? That would be impossible. So what is given are, are what are called guidelines, guiding decisions, the mispatim, the judgments and ordinances that tell us uh, what needs to be done among contending parties to satisfy what Yahuwah God wants to carry this out. There's going to be judges who were these judges, Numbers 11, 16 to 17. So Yahuwah said to Moses, gather to me uh, 70 men, of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. So who are these judges 
who are going to use the statutes, the judgments, and the ordinances that is found in the Book of the Covenant. Well, these are the elders of Israel. And the purpose of the elders of Israel is to help Moses with the burden in taking care of them, settling all of their disputes. Because one thing for certain about people living together, they're going to have problems with each other. Am I right? There's going to be conflicts amongst them. And so they're going to make, they're going to commit sin against one another. And so there are elders who will carry out the work of judging. What does that mean? It means they determine which ordinance, which rule, right? Which judgments apply in the specific uh, scenario or specific case so that it can be settled by the decision of the elders or the judges. Now, what did the, the judges use in determining uh, the cases that were presented to them? This was actually based on a suggestion by the father-in-law of Moses going back to Exodus 18, 19 to 22. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the, difficult, the difficulties to God, the difficult cases. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. And so Yahuwah approved, basically, in the passage we read earlier, what Jethro recommended to Moses. And this was implemented, put in place within the people of Israel. And so uh, Moses would handle the difficult cases, right? Uh, but the cases that were small, it would be handled by the elders. Who were they? Those people selected because they had the attributes, like they feared Yahuwah God. They were men of truth, and they hated covetousness, and they did not take bribes. And so they were appointed to be judges over Israel. And Yahuwah's spirit was given upon them so that they can look at the statutes and the laws and determine the best course of action to reconcile the parties that are in conflict with one another. So those are the statutes and the ordinances and the judgments. And so in a way, they are derivatives of the commandments. To see how all of this comes into play, let us look at Exodus 22, 7 to 8. If anyone agrees uh, to keep someone else's money or other valuables for him, and they are stolen from his house, the thief, if found, shall repay double. But if the thief is not found, the one who was keeping the valuables is to be brought to the place of worship, and there he, and there he must take an oath that he has not stolen the other one's property. So what we have here is an example of statutes and judgments, right? And we can say 
that these statutes and judgments derive from the commandments of Yahuwah God or the Ten Commandments. When you look at the Book of Covenant, when you look at the Torah, the Pentateuch, you will find there are about 600 specific laws and ordinances, 600. I'm not sure of the exact number. Some say it's 613. It depends on how you divide them out. About 613 different decrees, regulations, and laws, right? But they all derive from the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Abba. So we have the Ten Commandments, right? We have the laws, and the laws are three parts, ceremonial laws, moral laws, and social laws. And now we have statutes that come from the commandments. In this case, why is it a statute? Because it determines how when you have two people who fit the description here, the template here, for example, there's a person who gave you valuables that you're supposed to take care of, but then somebody steals it, right? And so what's the appropriate thing to do? And so a statute or an ordinance is given. Well, the thief, if found, what do they have to do? They have to pay double, not triple, not quadruple, right? And so the ordinance, it limits, it limits the consequences of their sin, right? Or what they're supposed to do to make recompense for their sin. It gives you a limit. You shall repay how much? Double, okay? And so that's an example of a statute or an ordinance. So that when people sin against each other, there's a guideline that can be used so that peace can be established within the covenant community of Israel, okay? So we have laws, we have commands, statutes, and ordinances. Now let's go back to the question. And a question is asked about an eye for an eye. And does it mean that when this principle or this ordinance, because if you were going to look, when you look at eye for an eye, that fits more as an ordinance, right? Eye for an eye. Let's go ahead and take a look at that and ask ourselves, does it oppose what our King Yahushua said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38? Let's first examine what this is all about. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. In Exodus 21, 23 to 25, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And so according to the teaching of Moses, if there is harm that ensues after there's been maybe a scuffle, fight maybe, right? And so in the principle of fairness and justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, okay? Um, this was repeated in Leviticus 24, 20, 21, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. You, your eye shall not pity. Uh, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, this principle of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is very, very misunderstood. If there is one concept. In the entirety of the Old Testament that has been misunderstood, it is this principle. Because when you read this principle, right, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tooth for a tooth, it seems that if you have been hurt by someone, someone has injured you physically, that you are entitled to repay evil for evil, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But is that what the passage is teaching us? 
know. One principle we need to understand about this passage is this principle does not call for a person who injures another to be mutilated. Because when you look at the passage, it seems like if someone lost an arm, you're going to cut off his arm. If someone loses a tooth, you're going to cut off, you're going to knock out the tooth of the other person who did that to you, right? And so you got physically injured, you're going to injure the other person physically. No, injury cases during the Old Testament times were settled always by money, by payment. It wasn't physical injury for physical injury. The, phys the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is mentioned there, not so that you will act in vengeance, so that if you got hurt and you lost a limb, you're going to take out this limb. No, it's just to determine the appropriate uh, payment uh, for damages that have been ensued. So injury cases were always settled by establishing money damages. The person who caused injury, they have to pay. What's the proof of that? Well, let's go back to Exodus 21, 22, 25. If men fight and a hurt woman with child uh, and, and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman, woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, uh, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. According to what we read, when it comes to making amends, right? When it comes to reconciling um, two people who have injured each other or have a confrontation with each other, it's always the judge who makes the determination. It's always settled by the judge. And so when it comes to settlement by the judge, oftentimes the damage is fixed by, not by acting out in revenge, but by determining how much is to be paid and what principle has been given. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so that principle, um, it, what it does is it limits the kind of penalty that can be imposed. You see, in the ancient world, biblical times, uh, there, there was blood feuds. It was very common, especially since uh, people back then, whenever harm was inflicted against a member of the family, you're going to have like a family feud. You heard of that? It was common during the ancient times. And so if you're someone you love was injured, the tendency is to act in revenge by attacking the victim's family intent on revenge. The eye for an eye rules out revenge and requires the victim to settle for fair compensation. That's why eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The purpose of that law or that ordinance is not so that people can act in revenge, repay evil for evil, the purpose of that ordinance is to tell us that if we have been uh, done wrong against, we cannot expect the person who did us wrong to pay something that is beyond what the damages require. So for example, during our time today, okay, during our time today, if somebody backs up 
and you have a car and somebody backs up and damages your fender. Does it mean, is it right for the insurance company to give you a new car because your fender has been damaged? No, that's no longer eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so the purpose of eye for an eye is to help the judge who's going to determine the case, how much money is to be given to the injured victim. Okay, so that's what that is all about. It's not about mutilating the other person. That's a pagan belief. And it's unfortunate even during the time of Yahusha on earth, that is what they believe. And so there are oral traditions about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which brings us perfectly to the next question. Uh, it says, and yet Yahusha in Matthew 5, an eye for an eye, is it no longer practiced during the, the days of Yahusha? Is this ordinance no longer in practice full? And so let's go ahead and look at what our King Yahusha taught in Matthew 5, 38 to 43. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? That's in Matthew 5, 38 to 43. Is Yahushua, is he telling us this no longer applies during our time? Well, first of all, before we read Matthew 5, 38 to 43, we, re we read Matthew 5, 17 to 20. I just want to read that first, Matthew 5, 17 to 20, before we go to 5, 38 to 43, because it leads to this. Okay, our King Yahushua says in Matthew 5, 17 and 20, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not, uh, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that's the main theme of Matthew 5. Okay, Matthew 5, our King Yahusha explains to us the purpose of his coming. Why did he come? To fulfill the law or the prophets, not to abolish it, not to replace it, but to fulfill it. This is why he even tells us if there are those who are teaching that we must not obey even the least of these commandments. Well, Yahusha says this is not the right thing. They will be least in the kingdom of heaven. What he wants us to do is to teach the laws and the commandments, right? Because great will they be in the kingdom of heaven not only that but for us to enter the kingdom of heaven our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees so our king yahusha he made it clear to everyone and he's making it clear to us today that he is not replacing the law and the prophets he is fulfilling it and he wants us to fulfill it and for us to fulfill it according to the way he has fulfilled it something we have to understand what is that our understanding of the law must be different from the understanding of the scribes and the Pharisees. You know why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees have mixed it with what again? Leaven. And so you have all these oral traditions that the Pharisees came up with when it comes to the laws of Yahuwah Abba that Moses taught back in the Torah. 
And so our King Yahusha came here to teach us how to understand the law, not to replace it, not to abolish it, but to understand it and to fulfill it the way it ought to be fulfilled. And so after saying this, after Yahusha says, I came to fulfill the law, and I want you to teach this law. After saying this, he gives us examples of the law that he wants us to fulfill the right way, not according to the leaven of the Pharisees. So he gives an example in 38 to 43. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I want to pause there for a while. You notice our King Yahusha said, you have heard. He did not say it is written. You notice that? He says, you have heard. Why? Because he is addressing the oral traditions the Pharisees came up with concerning an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What are some of these? That when a person is physically harmed, an eye is taken out, then you are to act in revenge, right? And take out his eye. But Yahusha says that's not the correct understanding of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's why in 39, he says, I tell you, do you not, uh, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. What does that mean? It means you are not to repay evil for evil. Because according to the leaven of the Pharisees, that's what it means. If somebody does wrong to you, you are to retaliate by doing evil against that person. That's how they interpret an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so our King Yahushua is restoring Torah is restoring the understanding of the law. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not about taking revenge. That's not what it's about. However, our King Yahusha, he does something else. He's telling us, we who are followers of him, not just to settle for what is required by the law. He's telling us to do something that we must do according to love, which is to go beyond what is expected of you. This is why our King Yahusha, when he's teaching this part, he's telling us under the new covenant, the law stays the same, but we are able to carry it out be, uh, all the way to its greatest purpose and meaning, which is what Yahusha came to show us. And so what Yahushua is going to show us now is how we can follow this law according to his way, according to how it's supposed to be done. That's why he says, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you or take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So our King Yahusha does two things here. Number one, he dispels the misunderstanding that an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, means to act in revenge. Okay? That's why he says, do not resist an evil person. Meaning, do not repay uh, evil for evil. Number two, he tells us how to carry out this law to its perfected meaning. How so? Do not settle for what is required. Go beyond that. That is the principle of what? Love. This is why what our King Yahushua is teaching us is not just the letter of the law, but also what? The spirit of 
the law. What is the spirit of the law? It is love. And so in these examples about the law, he's emphasizing its main point, which is love, because it is easily missed by people who are just looking at the letter of the law. And so our King Yahushua wants us to understand, do not do something that shows your love. And that's what Matthew 38 to 43 is about. Do not, you know, do not just not act in revenge, but also even help those who are in need. And so if someone, for example, um, if someone, for example, backs up and hits your fender, right? And this person, you can tell he's very poor and he, he can't afford um, his insurance rate to go up. You know, if you, if you can, is there a law against you saying to the other person, you don't have to worry about this. I'll fix this by myself, right? Do you get it? That's love. This is what our King Yahushua wants us to see. The emphasis of the law is love. And if we miss that, then we miss the heart of Yahuwah, Abba, in giving the, in giving the law in the first place. Another example, uh, 43 to 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You notice you shall love your neighbor. You notice uh, it's in italics because that's in the law. But and hate your enemy. That's not in the law. Okay. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so our King Yahusha is telling us what it means to love your neighbor. And so how do we do that? But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do? Uh, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your father in heaven is perfect. And so what is our King Yahusha teaching us about the command from the Old Testament that you shall love your neighbor as yourself? Because we know that's in Leviticus. We talked about that before, right? It's an Old Testament command. Yahusha is telling us we have to obey this command. However, what is the spirit of the command? The spirit of the command, again, is about love. And we are to perfect our obedience of this command in the same way Abba does it. This is why at the last part, 48, it says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Who's the best example of loving someone, including those who are his enemies? Who is the perfect example? Yahusha and who? Yahuwah, right? Yahuwah and Yahusha are perfect examples of loving their enemies because Yahuwah loves even those who sin against him. This is why we're still alive. Yahushua died for sinners. He loved even those who persecuted him. And so when it says you shall love your neighbor, that includes even your who? Enemies, even those who go against you. And so what we see here when it comes to the law of Yahuwah, Abba, the way it is to be fulfilled requires us to practice 
a love that is now available because of the coming of who? Yahusha. This is why our King Yahusha said something uh, back in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, according to our King Yahushua, he gives us a new command. What is that new command? It's you must love one another. But when you look at the command to love one another, is that really a new command? Is that not found in the Old Testament? Is that, is that, is that not part of uh, the Torah? It is, right? But what makes it new? What makes it new? Yahushua says, love one another as I have loved you. And so now, during the advent of Yahushua, we can fulfill the spirit, the emphasis of the commandments, all ten commandments. Because when our King Yahushua is in us, we can love the way he loves. When can we say Yahushua is in us? When we receive what? The spirit. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. And so because we can receive the spirit through Yahushua, we can love the same way Yahushua loves. And if we can love the same way Yahushua loves, guess what? We are able to fulfill the commandments according to the perfection that Yahuwah Abba intended all along, which means loving even your who? That's tough, huh? I can't do that. Of course, we can't do that without the Spirit. We cannot do that without the Spirit. It's hard. But if you have the Spirit, you can love even your enemies. Now, what proves that the new commandment is really the old covenant? It's really the old commandment, I should say. It's really the old commandment that we can now do in a different way, in a more powerful way, because the Spirit is in us. Let's read the book of 1 John 2, 7 and 8. Brethren. I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. What is that? The Torah, right? The old commandment. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. So according to Apostle John, there's a new commandment given to us, which is that the one given by Yahusha. He says, I love you. You must now love the way I loved you, right? That's the new commandment. How can we do that? If we have the spirit in us, if Christ is in us. And here Apostle John is reiterating that because after all, he was the one who wrote about that in John 13. What the passage we read earlier, right? And so he's telling us now this new commandment is actually the old commandment. It's actually the Torah. But now, because we belong to Yahusha and the Spirit is in us, because if you look at verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you? And so the Spirit that enables Yahusha to carry out the commandment to love is also present in us. This is why Yahusha can be in us. 
And that's what makes all the difference. And so because the spirit is in us, the old commandment become new commandments in the sense we are empowered to carry out the purpose and meaning of the law in ever increasing glory. Okay, we can do something that the people during the days of Moses could not do during that time. What is that? Second Corinthians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So according to Apostle Paul, during the days of Moses, yes, they received the laws. Yes, they received the Torah, the old covenant. But when they read it, they were limited in their ability to obey. This is why you cannot be saved by obeying the commandments. Human nature is weak. We have the sinful nature. And so because of that sinful nature, we are unable to carry out the complete meaning and purpose of that, the commandments. However, because we now have Yahusha, because of the spirit of the son that can be sent in us, what can we do now? Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 3, 15 18. Even to this day, when Moses is read, want to pause there for a while. We're talking about the Christian era here, right? Apostle Paul. When Apostle Paul wrote this, even to this day, was Yahusha in heaven already? Yeah. So this point, at this point in time, our King Yahusha has arrived. He preached. He died. He resurrected. And he ascended to heaven, right? And so after doing all that, was the law abolished? Does it mean we no longer study Moses? We do. Apostle Paul says, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the the spirit and so the difference today compared to before during the days of Moses they did not have the spirit but we do why because we have faith in our king Yahusha we belong to our king Yahusha and because of this the spirit is in us and with the spirit what are we able to do we're able to fulfill the purpose of the law the laws the commandments of Yahuwah Abba with ever-increasing glory to become more and more like who? Our king? Yahusha. This is why when he taught us in Matthew 5, all the different laws back in the Old Testament, he's telling us the proper way it should be understood. Not the way the Pharisees understand it, but the way it's supposed to be understood and carried out to perfection. We cannot do that, though, unless we have the spirit of Yahusha in us and so there's no contradiction between eye for an eye tooth for a tooth and what our king yahusha has taught okay all right let's go to our last question uh brother john magandang hapon po may nagpapatanong about sa sabbath 
Panaghoy uh, 2.6, alin ang takdang kapulungan at Sabbath na pinalilimot na noong Diyos noon. Salamat po. Brother John, good afternoon. There's a question, there, there's a question about Sabbath, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 6. What is the, the place of assembly and the Sabbath that God caused to be forgotten? So let's go ahead and read that passage. Lamentations 2 and the verse of 6. He has done violence to his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He has destroyed his place of assembly. Yahuwah has caused the appointed peace and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. In his burning indignation, he has spurned the king and the priest. And so that's what's recorded in Lamentations chapter 2 and the verse 6. And in this passage, it tells us that Yahuwah God not only has to destroy the place of assembly, but he caused the appointed feasts and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. So because of this passage, there are people who say the, the Sabbath is no longer applicable during our time because Yahuwah God caused it to be forgotten, right? And so Yahuwah basically abolished the Sabbath. That's what they're saying. Wait a minute. Is it true that Yahuwah basically abolished the Sabbath? No, that's not what it says. What it says is he caused the people of Judah to forget the Sabbath and to forget the appointed feasts. Why? Why did Yahuwah God do this? Because he was angry. <laughs> right? He's basically telling his people, you, have no long, you no longer have the right to worship me. This is what Yahuwah God is saying in Lamentations 2 and the verses 6. Why is Yahuwah God angry? Let's read. Uh, two, one to two of Lamentations, the Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust, throw down from the heights of heaven in his day of great anger. The Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought them to the ground, dishonoring the kingdom and its rulers. And so why does it say that Yahuwah God caused the place of assembly, which is basically the temple or the places of worship? Why did Yahuwah God say the temple was destroyed? Why did he say that the Sabbath is to be forgotten? That's because he's removing Israel from his presence. Why? Because Yahuwah was angry with them. In his anger, what happened to Israel? What happened to Judah? Their city was leveled, right? The walls were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Yahuwah gave them over to captivity. To who? The Babylonians. Why? Because he was angry. And so in his anger, what did he do? He severed his relationship from Israel. Of course, Israel will not observe the Sabbath anymore. Yahuwah God is telling them, I forget you. I have rejected you. You are no longer my people. And that's why they did not have the Sabbath anymore. Because they're no longer the people of who? Yahuwah, right? Because one of the signs of the people of Yahuwah is the observance of Sabbath. Now, why was Yahuwah God angry? Well, we read Lamentations, and there's a reason why it's called Lamentations. What is the meaning of Lamentations anyways? Think about it. What's the meaning of Lamentations? 
What, what does it mean to lament? To weep in regret, right? To be remorseful, to be repentant. So this happened after Israel went into captivity in Babylon. Lamentations was written as a response to the rejection of Yahuwah of his people Judah. Why was Yahuwah got angry? Why did he reject Judah? Jeremiah 25, 4 to 6. And Yahuwah has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, repent now every one of his evil ways and his evil doings and dwell in the land that Yahuwah has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Why was Yahuwah God so angry? Because they were living wickedly. And although they were living wickedly, Yahuwah, in his patience, what did he do? He sent his servants and prophets rising early and sending them. But they were not even inclined to listen to them. And so what happened? How did Yahuwah God feel? When he, when he sent prophets to warn them, do not worship idols, do not worship other gods, but, but they fell on deaf ears. Jeremiah 25, 7 to 9, yet you have not listened to me, says Yahuwah, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says Yahuwah of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says Yahuwah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations. Why was Yahuwah God angry with Israel? Because despite sending the prophets, what did they continue to do? They continued to provoke Yahuwah God to anger. And so what was the punishment of Yahuwah? He used Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. To bring them to perpetual desolation. This is why they were deported to Babylon. Right? And what happened to them there? How long are they supposed to stay there? How long was the punishment for Judah? Uh, Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall, shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? 70 years. Then it will come to pass when the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon. So how long was this punishment for? Yahuwah God rejected his people Israel, right? But there was a, it was only for a portion of time. How long was that for? 70 years. Why 70 years? Second Chronicles 36, 20, 21. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Because Yahuwah would use Persia to let the people of Israel go, right? And so Persia had to conquer Babylon. When, it, when Persia was now controlling um, Israel, Judah, the time would come when the people of Israel would be set free to rebuild the temple. We talked about that before. Remember Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, right? And so 21, why was it seven years, 70 years to fulfill the word of Yahuwah by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 
years. You see, the people of Israel did not observe Sabbath for the land. Every seven years, they were to leave the land unplowed, right? Followed. But they did not follow that. And so they would be punished according to their failure to observe the Sabbath for the land. So for seven years, 70, 70 years, uh, they would be held in captivity in Babylon. But after seven years, 70 years, what will happen to them? They'd be set free, right? So Ezra, what's that? Remember Ezra? He wrote about the return. They started to build the temple, but the walls remained unbuilt. And so the passage of time came. Eventually it stopped. The rebuilding stopped. This is why Yahuwah had to move the hearts of Zerubbabel and what's the other one? Joshua in the words of Haggai. But not only that, there were other instruments that Yahuwah God used. One was Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he was a high official in Persia. He was sent to Jerusalem so that he can also help in the rebuilding of the walls. And this is what happened in 13, 15, and 16. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. What does that mean? They were working. They were working on the Sabbath, right? And bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought to Jerusalem on Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of tear dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of good and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So what did Nehemiah, man of God, notice when he was in Jerusalem? They were disrespecting what? Sabbath. And so what did he say? He said, well, after all, we are supposed to forget the Sabbath. Is that what Nehemiah said? Maybe these people who did not take Yahuwah Abba seriously, maybe they forgot the Sabbath. But Nehemiah, a man of God, what did he do? Let's read 13, 17, 18. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And so who spoke up when he saw the people profaning the Sabbath? Nehemiah, he spoke up on behalf of Yahuwah Abba. Not only did he speak up, what did he also do? Nehemiah 13, 19 and 21. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut. And charge that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. And I posted some of my servants at the gate. So that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay, my, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Not only did he preach against the people who profaned the Sabbath, he enforced the observance of the Sabbath in obedience to Yahuwah Abba. And so what, else, what, else, what did he command the Levites to do? And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves, that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify what? Sabbath day. 
Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. And so here's Nehemiah, man of God. When Israel was brought back to the land, the temple is being rebuilt. It was restoration. The walls were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The feasts and the Sabbath were forgotten. But what was Yahuwah restoring? Everything, right? The wall, the uh, temple, the uh, Sabbath, the religious feasts, they were all being restored. And this is why the anger of Yahuwah lasted for seven years. After 70 years, Yahuwah expected that his people would again worship him, including observing the Sabbath. This is why Lamentations, you cannot use Lamentations to say that we no longer are to observe the Sabbath, right? Because it was restored even before our King Yahusha came. Now the question is this, when Yahusha came and the apostles came, did they observe the Sabbath? We'll talk more about that this Thursday, okay? We'll talk more about the law this coming Thursday because there's so many things, so many, so many other things we need to understand about this. And we're spending some time about this because it's so important that we understand the purpose of the law, that Yahusha never came to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And he wants us to fulfill them according to his way, not the way of the Pharisees, okay? And that's why our King Yahusha restored the Sabbath he was restored the laws so that we can fulfill them in its correct spirit, not in the spirit of vengeance, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but in the spirit of what? What is it again? Spirit of love. When you get that, that is what our King Yahusha came to demonstrate for us, observing the law with love, because that's the spirit of the law. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, yes, merciful and loving Yahuwah Allahim. Yes, Thank you so much for listening to all of us yes. because we are part of this work of restoration. Amen. We know there will be resistance yes. because even during the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, yes. there were people, even those who belong to Israel, who resisted that work. Amen. And so we are not surprised. We will contend against many factors. Yes. But Father, we do not depend on our own strength. Yes. For we are nothing compared to what we used to have. Yes. There is nothing that we shall boast of. Yes. But we do have you, loving Abba. Yes. It's by your spirit that we will be able to accomplish the purpose of why we are here today, yes. the assembly of Yahusha, Amen. loving Abba, when we, when we feel weak, yes. when we feel burdened by yes. persecution, opposition, may you strengthen us. Yes. May you fulfill what you said you will do yes. because we rely on you and nothing and no one else. Yes. Without you, we are nothing. Yes. But with you, we can do all things because we believe that you have sent your son and that we have been called in fellowship with him yes, to carry out the purposes of the law, yes. the law that you have disclosed on Mount Sinai, yes. your laws to be etched in our minds and in our hearts. 
by means of the Spirit. Amen. Yahusha, our loving Mashiach, yes, we depend on you. We need you at all yes. times in our life. Please strengthen us. May the spirit of love reign in our hearts yes. that we may follow your good example yes. to love even our enemies. Amen. Thank you so much because we know by means of your spirit, yes. we will, we will be able to carry this out. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You have blessed us with wisdom. Yes. And we ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.